Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Curland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, as well as many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Over the past few weeks, we've been sharing with you a project that Dominique is working on with her horses. She wants to transition two of her horses over to being barefoot. And she's been doing a lot of researching and a lot of thinking about what would be the best approach. So in a recent podcast, we talked about some of the training issues that are involved in good foot care. And last week, we shared with you an interview with Paige Poss. Paige shares her knowledge of foot care and horse anatomy through her websites, Iron Free Hoof and Anatomy of the Equine, as well as through her books, articles, and many conference appearances. In her interview, Paige stressed the importance of building a strong team for your horse. And that's really why we wanted to explore this as part of the podcast because this is really central to good horse care whether we're talking about a training problem a new skill that you want to teach or a new riding activity that you want to learn or you're talking about a health care issue it's important to have a good team of people around you people whose knowledge you trust people who you would trust with your horses. Dominique wants to transition her horses over to being barefoot, but she isn't just pulling her horse's shoes and hoping for the best. Instead, she's doing exactly what Paige advised. She's building a strong team around her so that she can make the best possible choices. And today we're going to meet one of the members of her team, Marion Braun, and I'll let Dominique tell you more about her. Yes, that's right. Um, I met Miriam Brown at my barn um, because, as you know, I've started a process where I want to try to unshoe uh, two of my horses, Biko and Woody. And um, as I was chatting with Miriam, I realized that she has helped uh, quite a few horse owners to transition from being uh, their horse being shooed to uh, barefoot and that she knows a whole lot about boots, which are, I think, uh, are going to be key for me because I've tried unshoeing Pico and Woody in the past. As I have unshoed many, many of the Cavalia horses, as you know, when they arrived at the retirement center, I would always ask that they be unshoed if at all possible. And so we took the shoes off a lot of horses but for some reason, Pico and Woody were not successful. Uh, Woody would wear down really quickly in the back and would become very sensitive. And so after trying a couple of times, I decided to put the shoes uh, back on and kind of forgot about it. And recently I changed barn and I thought, I'm going to try this again because with the people there at my new barn, I feel that there's, um, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be able to put boots on and off and follow the horses and give them the individual care they need, I hope, to uh, make this transition successful. 
But uh, so when um, I heard Miriam talking, I thought, oh, this is so interesting for anyone who wants to do this transition, knowing more about boots and gathering all the conditions that are necessary to make it work and plan carefully and in advance to make it work, I thought would be interesting to share with our listeners. So Miriam, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you come from, and what you have done uh, to help your, uh, your clients uh, to transition to barefoot? Sure. Um, thank you for having me, and uh, nice meeting you both. I'm uh, in uh, Quebec, uh, as you know, and I'm originally from Germany. I started in the uh, barefoot world in about 2005, uh, got education certified for that and uh, helped transition horses uh, into barefoot with booting. Um, coming into 2014, however, I realized that uh, not all horses are uh, necessarily ready or able to go barefoot 100% all the time, depending on their job and needs and had a little bit further education in Pennsylvania and uh, learned about glue on shoes, composite shoes. Uh, or nailing composite shoes and uh, more hook booting to help horses transition. So let's begin with the most basic of all questions. Since most of us who've been around horses for any period of time, at least until really the last, oh, 10, 15 years, the norm would be to have horses uh, wearing shoes. So what are some of the reasons for making this transition that Dominique is embarking on. Why, if I were a horse owner, why would I be deciding that I want to consider having my horse go barefoot? I know that uh, many owners prefer having their horses barefoot, just uh, simply by the idea of having a more solid, healthy hoof in the sense, you know, not having to deal with um, a nail holes or, you know, separa- white line separations, etc. Um, for some, it's a budget situation, you know, um, and others it is uh, uh, interest and also learning how to do some of those steps themselves. So it, the affordability is definitely a, a big plus. And would you say that in general, you often get a healthier foot as you go barefoot? Is that something that you've observed? Well, it's, I definitely see some, um, let's say, uh, whole form changes in the process of going from shoes to barefoot. But that, that, nece- that isn't necessarily due to whatever shoeing was applied prior. Um, I often in the past have run into horse owners who just either lacked education as to, you know, uh, cycle length and how the hoof needs to be addressed and hoof conformation itself, the individual itself, the footing where they live, uh, even nutrition. So I just noticed when we switched horses from a certain condition in shoes to barefoot, they definitely improved. Uh, in the integrity of the hoof itself. And when you said that um, when they go barefoot, you see a transformation of the hoof, what do you see? Well, often we find in horses that are slightly contracted in the caudal area or in the heel area, they can expand and grow a fuller, thicker frog if that's what they're built to do. Mm -hmm. I also see sometimes the hoof walls, um, occasionally in shoeings or uh, sicklier shoeings, a lot of shoeings, um, horses can sometimes deform the hoof capsule slightly, and then if you take them to barefoot, that grows out really nice and straight, fairly straight. Um, size. The size, is, and that was something I was going to bring up during our boot fitting discussion, uh, size can change at times. Uh, some feet go a size down, some feet go a size up, 
it all depends where we start with once they were in shoes or what conditions they lived in. And I assume the best way to know if your horse can go barefoot or not is to try it. Certainly, of course. But I mean, there are some cases where, you know, I look at the hoofs, I look at the age of the horse, I look at the condition, I look at the health and what the horse has to perform for the owner, where mm -hmm. I even will recommend and say perhaps barefoot is not the wisest way to go, but perhaps we have another solution than metal shoes, perhaps uh, glue on composite shoes. For example, if somebody says, look, my, my horse has a really hard time keeping on nail shoes because his walls always break out or he steps on the shoe and he pulls it off and breaks it. So we have other options that we can try. Okay. So let's say we want to try barefoot. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, of course, the option of just saying, okay, I'm pulling the shoes off and, you know, good luck with that. And that can sometimes work. But let's say one wants to gather all the conditions to put all chances on their side that it's going to be successful. Yes. So what, what are the best conditions uh, to make it work? How should one plan? Um, is there a time of the year where it would be um, more favorable to uh, pulling the shoes? What are, what are the success factors, do you think? So in, in the ideal world, I recommend um, owners to uh, pull shoes probably by uh, early summer to midsummer. I'm looking for the driest season. I'm looking for the season with normal footing in the pasture where the horse spends most of his day because, you know, we don't ride them 24-7. And then I need to know uh, what the horse has to perform, what is expected of the horse, and on what surface he has to perform, or what type of job he has. Like, is he going on trail six days a week? You know, what, what does he need to do? So in the ideal world is if a horse can have some time to get off the transition, if we already know he has been sold or has other, you know, issues that might cause them a little bit of tenderness while working, for example, then a little time off and a dry pasture, um, maybe discuss some supplementing that can help, you know, harden hooves, and of course discuss how we're going to transition him uh, directly from shoes to barefoot or from shoes to boots or from shoes to glue on composites and then to boots and so forth. Why, why do you pick the driest season? What does what does the humidity or the water does that you don't like? So hooves are incredibly permeable. They um, even absorb moisture just by sheer humidity factor. And yes, in our lovely region, we do have high humidity in the summer. Nonetheless, if the footing is dry enough, we have at least one factor counted down where the hoof is not exposed to mud, you know, up to the coronet band or higher, and therefore becomes very wet and soft and expands more than it should and also wears faster than it should, especially from a horse that goes from shoes to barefoot. And what about rest? What about, because you were saying that's part of what may make the transition successful is, you know, what exactly is expected of this horse, but I'm going to turn it around and say, what can I give my horse uh, to make sure that it, you know, do, do they need rest? Would they even, I'll tell you right now, um, Pico has had his shoes off for 10 days, I guess. You know, I have all these questions about, first of all, how long can I keep the boots on and how long should I let him uh, out, you know, because the weather's really nice right now. He could be out 24 hours, but I'm, I don't want to push my luck. 
But then I wonder, is it better for him to sleep, to not walk too much when he's during that transition? And this is just turnout. I'm not talking about writing. Right. Or on right. the contrary, is it better that because the more he walks, I'm assuming the more circulation there is. So is it better that he's turned out, you know, as well, I would normally? So in my experience, as if, for example, the horse owner already knows up front before we pull shoes, the horse has a tendency to be tender or we find out the horse has a tendency to be tender right after shoes being pulled. And certainly wearing boots um, frequently is top choice. Uh, now to answer the question, uh, one of your first questions of, you know, is it good to leave boots on 24-7? Now that depends on various factors. And the first one I'm going to point out is uh, not all boots are made the same. And not all boots or models are made to be worn 24-7. So, um, and Easy Care alone, if you're familiar with Easy Care in the uh, Easy Boot line, has over 18 different types of food models depending on what you need and what you're doing with the horse. <laughs> no, it's so, like, it's, there's a lot of choice there. <laughs> yes, and then we have Renegade, and then we have Cavallo, Fusion, Delta, Soft Rides, uh, Marquis, and many more. But I model, haven't found any boots that are meant to be 24-7. They all seem to have like, you know, limit in terms either of mileage or time you should leave them on, but I don't so know. Most of the, um, the uh, transitioning boots or uh, health boots. So, Soft Ride is a company that only specializes in rehabilitation boots. Uh, it's one of my top choices when I deal with laminitic or founder cases. Um, Easy Care has a line, uh, which I do like their newest boot, which is called the Easy Care Cloud, uh, which is a very comfortable and comparable boot to the Soft Ride. And it's a bit lighter and fits a bit snugger than the soft ride. That is one of the boots you can definitely leave on 24-7. Yet again, though, providing the fit and the measurements were taken properly. Uh, it's, it's all about fit. The boots have to fit properly. And there are many tricks. We have another sleeve for uh, assisting the horses. For example, if we do have some that sort of rub their bulbs in the back a little bit in boots. Well, we're already them. there. Yeah. So what we do is we use cotton socks human cotton socks, man size, and we cut just a little tip in the front off, and we slide the entire sock over the hook and the ankle and over the fetlock, and leave actually the hook covered, and we insert that into the feet. But the do, you, fact, do you go all the way down the bobs? With the, with oh, yeah, yeah. The sock stays over the whole hook. You're, you're covering oh, the whole hook. Yes. Okay. So okay. nothing slides and, up. And so if you do that, if you use, because I already bought some socks, <laughs> I bought, I bought, like really thick ones and then I bought really thin ones because I mm -hmm. thought this is going to change the fit of the boot especially I had the gel pads in yeah already so is is this something when you're when you're measuring your your boot mm -hmm. should you plan for a sock because there's a I don't know how many but it seems to me that it's really hard to find a boot that in the long run will not rub so sort of how I put down my steps is that boot fit, so boot type model or company and if you're going to invest into a riding boot at the same time that you're going to use for transitioning or invest into a transitioning boot and then perhaps later buy a riding boot depending on what you want to do is your first steps. The second step is um, after pulling the shoes a, uh, a proper trim is applied and measurements are taken again by somebody who's possibly trained or has done it a few times 
so that measurements are taken properly as per the food company needs. Recommends. Yeah. Recommendations, yes, because everybody measures, I mean, most measure mostly the same, but there are some that do it slightly different. Scoot boot, for example, has a bit of a different way of doing it. So then the second step is uh, in the trim itself, um, if there are some flares, uh, white line separation, disease, uh, some heavy thrush, things like this, we need to address in the trim. Because again, uh, as mentioned earlier in the discussion, hooves go through some sort of kind of pro process of change. So I'm gonna, just going to interrupt for a moment. So you've come to my barn. I have a horse that's in shoes. I would like to make that transition. You're going to help me do it. So you've just pulled the shoes. And often when you pull shoes, it seems as though there are that you reveal things like white line disease that may have been covered up by the shoes and you just didn't know that you had that problem brewing in the horse's foot. So what would be what would be some of the treatments of choice that you would have for a horse that had some thrush or white line disease or some of the other common things that you would see in the feet? In those situations? Yes. Um, in severe cases, I do recommend doing a clean track soap. This is a fabulous product. It cannot ha the horse cannot have shoes on because it deactivates the solution and it needs to be in a sort of enclosed airtight bag uh, or boots. We duct tape the boots, you know, soaking boots around the foot. We've done that. And that really gets uh, about 75% of the infectious uh, or the, um, uh, losing my voice, I apologize, um, the uh, anaerobic pathogens uh, out of the foot. And then we recommend again doing uh, dry, dry, dry again as your friend and then treating it antiseptically and treating it with a treatment. That's been really successful in my case. Anything more than that where we need uh, wall resections or something like this, I recommend talking to the vet, x-rays, and working together with the vet. And the, the last one that you mentioned before going to the hoof wall resections, could you say again what what that was? I'm the uh, treatment, the clean tracks treatment? Clean, clean tracks. tracks. Okay. Yes. Clean tracks is uh, actually a product from the uh, human world. It is used to uh, disinfect uh, human bladders. So it is uh, non-aggressive, non-corrosive. Uh, it's even used on uh, open, exposed bones where, you know, any kind of Corretting had to do uh, had to be done on the uh, third failings in the hoof due to infection, um, and it's a soap that you do anywhere between forty five minutes to two hours, and uh, it is highly successful. It's a very good soap. Okay, so back to your proper trim. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference between what people call a pasture trim and the trim that would be needed here? to transition my horse to barefoot and keep him uh, barefoot? Well, I mean, in general, most farriers and trimmers who have been trained under someone, you know, well and educated, uh, the trim comes down to uh, an anatomically correct trimming. Um, it has not so much to do between posture. The posture trimming, what I was told and taught, uh, is where you kick the horse out in the pasture and don't look at it. That's what I was told is a posture trim. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, so not the same definition I think you were going for. My trim is no different from any other trim. Uh, okay. I certainly trim slightly different from when I want to shoe versus when I keep a horse barefoot. But there isn't a huge difference in how I address flares or how I address uh, any kind of issues, white line disease, etc. Where my widest part of the foot goes, 
where my widest part of the frog goes uh, and where I want my break over. This is no different from when you shoe or when you want a barefoot horse. So the biggest difference is where I leave my toe pillars to for a barefoot horse versus where I need a flat surface to attach the shoe to, which then of course protects the hoof, you know, depending on what the need is for the horse. But if you found that, because um, I've heard this or yeah. uh, before that uh, a traditional farrier who does do trims and put shoes on, of course, mm -hmm. will not necessarily know how to do a good barefoot trimming. So you wouldn't agree with that because you say a good trim is an anatomically correct trim and it has nothing to do with whether the horse is going, is, is, is if the person is a barefoot trimmer or not. Well, I think it's about education. I think I've met um, enough areas to say, you know, I trim very much alike them, even though I come from a barefoot background. For sure, what I trimmed in 2005 is not what I trimmed today. That is for sure. With my education that I learned and with the rehabilitative care that I learned for laminating and the horses and wanting to reduce leverage, you know, on the laminate, they, I, I have gained more. But it really what it comes down to when I see, for the lack of better words, poorly trimmed hooves, it's a lack of education. That's really what it is. In, in the farrier world and in the barefoot trimmer world, there are enough similarities. If you have a good education, a good basis behind you, there are some mild differences. Um, if you want to go to that direction, barefoot versus shoes, I mean, I just think sometimes it is a lack of education. And but how can I know? I, I'm an owner. I'm not a mm -hmm. specialist. How do I know if it's okay or not okay? Yeah, what are some of the, what are some of the benchmarks that, or some of the things that you would look at. So again, I have this horse in my barn. He's got four feet. They're attached to the rest of him. How do I know? You know, it's like, okay. It's like, and I want okay. and I want him to be barefoot. Or or it doesn't really matter if I want him. It doesn't matter. If I want him to be barefoot or shod, I want him to have a good, a well-trimmed, yeah. well-balanced foot, regardless of what I... Pri primary base. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that, I think, is one of the key pieces. That's sort of like the key puzzle piece of when I'm looking at my horse, there are certain things that, that I've learned from various people over time that are indicators of good balance or not good balance. Like if I look at the coronet band, if I look at the side of the horse's foot and I see that it's it's a wavy line that that would be an indicator that hmm maybe things aren't as they should be what would be some of the other indicators that i would look for either to say this is a well-balanced foot or hmm we're missing something so normally i start with confirmation or actually i don't like that word very much because confirmation is malleable posture i look at posture okay, so okay. i look at the horse how he stands and if I notice that he does not have nice perpendicular table legs under him supporting his body with a nice supporter back, with a muscular back, if we're talking about an ideal horse with ideal health, let's not factor in health issues, age, injury, et cetera, et cetera. Let's just talk about the norm. Yes. So if I notice by any chance that he is what I call, has a goat on the rock stance, even in the mildest form. So that means his front legs are behind the axis and his hind legs are under him, camped under him, under the belly. So the legs sort of shape a V. Then I already can tell that uh, there is a hoof balance issue most likely 
Then there is dentistry. We have to look at teeth. And then, of course, we have to, after that, also check any kind of body issues, you know, with a body worker. What, why that, do you look at teeth? What, what do you see and how does it relate to the feet? Well, I don't look at teeth, sorry. But I mean, if, if we are trimming and after about three cycles, I cannot seem to correct a certain issue in the horse or a gait issue, comfort issue. Teeth is definitely a big key on the horse's overall health as well as their, excuse me, I'm, I'm losing my voice, so I apologize. It is to know where the body is in time, motion, and space. And there's a word for that. It's our, the P word. Oh, my God. The, the proprioception. Thank you. Yes. Thank yes. you. <laughs> it has to do with proprioception. So, yes, teeth we look at if we cannot correct through body work or health work, nutrition work, or hoof work, and we still have some issues that are going on, then we do have the teeth checked by a dentist to see that there aren't any malformations in the mouth that can keep the horse from probably moving himself in space and time, which is called proprioception. Okay, so, so far, let's say I look at the posture and you want the horse to stand square and in balance. What else should I be looking at, you know, in terms of is this trim good or not good? Oh, it's a it's a, such a technical question. Um, so I mean, the basic for, for a horse owner, you know, not for right. a yes. or an expert. Yes. Or so, can you tell? You know, <laughs> maybe maybe a horse owner uh, just has to trust and see how the horse moves. Oh no, because there there are indicators of, or at least things to look at and for, and then to have a conversation about. So you've talked about flares. Yes, exactly. Um, so hoof deviations of any kind can indicate poor trim. I just don't like saying that, but yes, it can indicate poor trim. But we cannot discount uh, rotational leg deformities, which 80% uh, of all horses have. And rotational leg deformities, um, or how the horse is written, or how the horse is worked, will designate how the hoof lands. And if the hoof can't land, what we would, in the ideal world, call um, you know, towards the ball of the foot, the center of the foot, and then flat uh, to dissipate its energy equally through the, the structure and the anatomy and the suspensory system. Flares can be created not just because of poor trimming, but because of the horse's conformation and how he moves and uses himself. Mm -hmm. So flares can be an indication of poor trim, but it is not only a poor trim. So if I, if I have a horse who does have flares, again, you've come to my barn, you see that the horse you're about to trim has uh, significant flares. Would you take those flares down? Do you leave flares? What is What generally do you do with flares? So the first thing, if I do see there is a significant amount of flares and there is no white line separation uh, from the bottom, the sole view, uh, which indicates it's a flare and, uh, excuse me, if there is separation, white line, it can be a flare. I want the horse moving. I need to see the horse move. How does he land? How does he use himself? Does he land very heavy on the outside of the hoof, very heavy on the inside of the hoof, or medialaterally, if you want to use those terms? Or does he rotate out? Does he rotate in? Does he wing? Does he hit himself walking? So I look at those things. Now, often I find those gait abnormalities can be helped along a lot with a balanced trim, making sure that I reduce uh, most of the, the leverage that I spoke about earlier. Uh, that can include flares. The hairline is a very good guide to follow as far as dropping down and having no deviations. However, some hoofs, for example, today I trimmed three horses who have mid-wall down in the growth pattern. 
uh, on the medial side, uh, what we would call an indentation. So even if you took your rasp and laid it, you know, flat down from the hairline to the ground, the hoof wall actually bends inward. It is beyond or inside the white line hair and then comes back out. That is not a flare. That is a horse who has arthritis in both her knees. She's an older horse, has slightly a toe-in problem. And I cannot take off that entire flare because she will collapse on that wall since it is beyond or inside the vertical of the hairline. So I reduce or round off that edge as much as I can, as much as the hairline allows me. But I imagine basically that there's a false wall filling in that indentation. You cannot take it all off or she'll fall in. Does that make more sense? Yes. Well, I'll tell you what it tells me. It tells me that I really need to trust my farrier or my trimmer because there's so many, uh, it's, it's complicated. But there are places as a horse owner you could get in contact with to learn more about very good trim. So there are resources for owners where they can reach out beyond their farrier or ask their farrier where they were educated. They can also find, uh, ask if the farrier is certified or not or where their education is from, what type of education. So... There, there is help for horse owners out there to educate themselves better, to know what a healthy hoof looks like, what it should look like, and what their personal horse may or may not have that deviates a hoof a certain way, and that's just how that horse is and how he functions well, if he functions well. All right, that's good. Good to know. Can we come back to the boots? <laughs> Certainly. Okay. So you're saying there are boots out there for turnout that you could leave on for quite some time. That's correct, yes. Maybe even 24, well, I don't know. Can you leave boots 24 hours, Kat? Don't Absolutely. you have to take them out at some point and let everything dry? So ideally, the best plan that I followed, I learned from Daisy Alexi Baking in Pennsylvania as far as, you know, with her uh, rehabilitative hair horses that often do live in boots 24-7, is that, of course, you check it at least once or twice a day. Uh, ideally, the hoof is dry. We use the Gold Bond foot powder, for humans, uh, extra strength ideally, which has a higher concentration of zinc oxide, which dehydrates feed, keeps fungal growth out from the boot. And if the horse has any fungal growth, it'll actually help it uh, kill those microbes. Washing boots, drying them, and always putting them on when they're dry. Using diapers, baby diapers size two around the foot, again, to dehydrate it and suck out any moisture, or if it was an abscess and there's drainage and you have it in the boot, uh, are ideal for this purpose. That's my protocol for horses that are in rehab care or are super tender for whatever reasons, if it's a stone bruise or an abscess coming out. And yes, boots are on 24-7, but those are the models that I recommend earlier, which are either the soft rides or the Easy Care Cloud uh, or the Strata if we need any kind of different padding inside the boot to support more in the front of the foot or the back of the foot. And so... Would you, so that means that you don't necessarily need to give the horse rest from turnout. You may need to give it rest from riding, but you could leave the horse to walk in his boots all day and that could still be good, favorable winning conditions to transition yes, him. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Going back to your original question, as far as your horse goes, knowing that you don't per se ride you know, as much as some others, you have well-fitted boots with protection for his bulbs. He could go outside. Now, the only thing is, if we have wet conditions, so that's snow or mud, like for now. sure, it's always, yes, 
it's always good to double check boots twice a day, make sure the feet are dry, the boots are dry, and just maybe give a break to dry the boots or dry the feet in between and then reapply them and put them back outside. Because right now, every time we take the boots off, and right now he's coming in at night, they're wet, you know. And so, and it, and the boots take the whole night to dry, really, because we've tried taking him for four hours inside, but the boots aren't dry yet. So they need the night to dry. Mm-hmm. I have recommended to people to use those little plug-in oil heaters and have a, a rack over them. And we just put the boots on top upside down with, you know, all its fissures and Velcros open and they dry within the hour or so. Oh, yeah, someone talked to me about this. Like, they have that for kids' boots, don't they? Correct, yes. Yeah, I have yeah, the yeah. same thing here at home, yeah. Oh, it, and it can dry in an hour. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so next question would be, how long will we have to keep the boots on, and when do we start taking the boots off to gradually acclimate him to walking barefoot? Did you know so, I don't I suppose we don't just stop one day and then the boots are off. I I'm assuming well, there's a gradual exposure to being barefoot every day for So in most point? cases it's really dependent on again the horse's conditions and what the horse is expected to do. So if it's in your case where we know he has the time to transition, you know, at his pace, yeah. then basically we wait until the horse's comfort level so you simply you know once we have you know very nice footing i'm not talking about icy frozen ground or in the driveway with the rocks this is not the places where we test how well he's doing barefoot um you know on his grassy pasture or on nice soft snow take the boots off and watch him go you know let him tell us how he feels about being barefoot and then uh, that's been the best way that we have gone if we notice that he is still a bit tender then back in boots we go and the, the, the front feet may be different from the back feet, correct? Correct, correct. yes. Um, I would say, um, except for one client, because she insisted, um, I usually only recommend front boots. I mean, so far that has worked really well for us. I have not had a client except for the one client uh, buy uh, boots for the hind feet, which she then very quickly learned was not as much necessary as she thought. Well, I did too. I know you said yes. that to me and I thought because in terms, especially Woody, I know that when we were not successful in the past, it was because of his back feet that were wearing down so quickly. So I don't know why Woody's always different from <laughs> the majority of horses, but you know, it's always, you know, you always have to look at your individual, even though but I thought, you know, even if I, the boots are useless after a month, a month and a half, I don't care. I have them just in case, too. Yeah. But if he's comfortable, if he's walking around and looking comfortable, does he need boots? Within 48 hours. That's my test period. So he might look comfortable initially, and you kick him out for 48 hours completely boot-free, not doing half and half. And if at that point you see after 48 hours, oh, he's getting a little ouchy, that could indicate that he has thinner soles or he is thinning his sole by wearing it off. Um, Sometimes it takes a week to find that out. Um, That is the best indicator. Well, I'll tell you why I'm putting the boots systematically now, because we've tried before to just pull the shoes and it didn't work. Um, So that's why in his case, I'm I'm already with the boots because I know that, that we weren't successful in the past. Mm-hmm. When they do need the boots, 
how, because I've read that it can take as long as a year before they really adapt and the hoof really strengthen. What's been your experience? It really depends where we start with. If, if we are starting with, you know, a fairly solid horse uh, who doesn't have any major complications health-wise or hoof-wise, uh, the transition can be incredibly fast, anywhere from a month to three months or six months at the most. I think what the reference that you're speaking of is uh, it takes approximately nine to 12 months for the hoof capsule to completely regrow itself. So okay. if we have cases where we have white line disease, white line separation, even maybe a bit of laminitis for whatever reason, um, or worse, founder, then yes, we do have to wait that long to transition horses very slowly, either with you know other additions like gluon shoes, composite shoes, and boots, with a hoof capsule to regrow without any other insult and have a healthy, stable, tight hoof capsule as best as possible. Or if they had cracks, fissures, you know, anything like this, abscesses, that might be the reference you're referring to. The longest cases in my care were cases who walked in with problems. You know, not somebody who just decided, hey, I would love to pull the shoes on my horse. He's doing really great. I just would love to go barefoot and try it. You know, he's got, you know, fairly good feet, no big problems. Those are so fast, so easy. It's, it's doable. Hmm. Thin sole horses take a little bit longer or are the type of horses that always will need some kind of support if you're going to work them. And so we've talked a little bit about the rubbing, which I, I'm assuming a lot of people will encounter um, and you've given us some tricks and tips for that. Are there other common problems that people encounter when they start using the boots? So it comes back to um, a little bit the boot fit and hoof uh, confirmation. So my general experience with uh, horses that tend to have low heels and long toes, and uh, and even despite you know the best trim that you apply, this is their confirmation, and without you know wedging the heels up, this is how they are difficult to fit boots, more difficult because yeah. they tend to be the ones that, that rub the bulbs in the back. So there are different hoof boots, um, as I mentioned earlier, out there, and there are some that sit below the hairline, which would be great for such a case, except they're not made to fit that hoof shape very well. So for example, the Easy Boot Glove, which is one of my favorite models because it's light, it's easy, fits like a glove, but they do have four millimeter differences and they do have to have very straight, slick, upright walls. Well, I'll tell um, you, I, I've, I had one of those too, and I thought it was hard to put on because that's also a criteria for the owner. Yes. Compare, absolutely. you know, to other boots, the glove, because I, 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 I saw that in the Easy Care line, there were other boots that were not as, didn't seem as difficult to put on, but the glove, I, I struggled to put it on. Maybe the glove, it was, the glove is a high performance boot. It's yeah. made for long distance riding. Mm. Um, and so endurance riding and on very tough terrain. It's a, it's a very good boot for longevity. I mean, that puppy will not fall apart soon on you. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. And what I love about them, they're sold individually. They have four millimeter size differences and every part on the boot is replaceable. So these are really high pluses and bonuses. But again, the foot has to fit it. That's really what it comes down to. And even some people invest into two different sizes for the beginning of the cycle and the end of the cycle. Now for feet, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the low heeled, you know, more underrun type with longer toes type or long passion horses where the P3 mass sits more forwards than under the column of the foot. These are more tricky to fit for boots. And I recommend more the type that, you know, a little bit like the Cavallos, although my preferred boots would be the Easy Care New Trail or New Mac. They also prevent turning more than the Cavallos. Cavallos can turn easily more on a malfitted uh, foot. 
but yes, you do have to consider keeping the feet dry in there. Uh, you can use the zinc oxide powder and protecting the bulbs if needed. So if you have a very narrow hoof, I, I saw that the Easy Care, they sell insert pads that you can put on both sides. Do you, do you, what do you think of those? I haven't seen those in particular and I haven't used them. I heard about them, but they're not uh, something I, I go for with my clients uh, only because it means it's labor intensive. And I find most clients who want a boot, unless they are the endurance type personality, they want a boot that's easy, you know, that just goes on and fits and et voila, you know, mm -hmm. it's done. Or I have a lot of older owners who don't want to bend over and work on a boot, you know, for five minutes per foot. It's mm -hmm. just not possible, you know, so we need something that goes on slick, goes on nice, et voila, it's done. So again, the Easy Boot Trail is one of my favorites for that. It does not have the inner strap like the Easy Boot uh, New Mac. Um, the Easy Boot New Mac, what I like is if we have a complicated foot, that where boots tend to turn, that inner strap will prevent the boot from turning, which of course is a safety thing if you're riding, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And they have and the, something they call the gator to protect the bulbs. For that is in the Cavallo line. And frankly, I have worked with those gators. I used to be a Cavallo rat and the gators don't work for me. They always slide up. They do not stay under the hoof. And that's where that whole sock idea came into play. Now for but your narrow footed feet, Coming back to that, yeah. what I have done is, so uh, both in the Easy Care line and the Cavallo line, and I believe in the Renegade line, I work less with Renegade, um, they have narrow-footed boots, so they are more oblong. Still, even that doesn't work, because, you know, some horses have it's more still He's still narrower yeah. than that. Well, we use um, hockey tape. It's two-inch hockey tape, and you wrap it around the entire perimeter, uh, both, you know, up the wall and under the, the wall, you know, under the foot. And that tightens the boot right in the place where you want it to stay a bit snugger. And some people even do that on normal footed horses through the cycle, you know, because feet grow in a cycle. So they yeah. put a bit of tape at the beginning of the cycle and then by the end, mid or end of the cycle, that's no longer needed. Because some hoofs, even that's another problem, is how the hoof is sized. Some hoofs fall in between two sizes. Yeah. It's very complicated. And, and that's something to deal with. I mean, yes, I have some owners who money is not a problem and they buy two sets of boots, which is great, but not everybody can do that. Yeah. And so again, we deal with this tape or we use the six millimeter pads from Cavallo, which I will say I love the six millimeter uh, gel pads because they last you a very long time versus the six millimeter pads from the Easy Caroline, which is just condensed foam. So little tricks and tips, you know, where you can, you know, that's another thing about uh, boots and what models to use because there are many boots out now that do not have an enclosed back part. They have a really lovely strap like the Renegades that go over the bulbs and hold the boot in place. Really super. I love those boots. Um, Easy Care just came last year with a similar line. It's called Easy Care Fury. Uh, mm -hmm. That's probably the next boot I'm going to invest into, but those are boots where padding is not possible. The pads will, you know, slide out the back mm -hmm. and fly out. So these are again options about, you know, fit models, hoof type, etc. Then we have horses that have high-low syndrome. So high-low syndrome is where we have possibly a limb length disparity issue where basically on one side, left or right, um, the limb is slightly shorter. And so we have a hoof that tends to grow higher in the heel and therefore less in the toe, whereas the opposite hoof then does the extreme opposite. that's low in the heel and gets a very long toe. So not every boot, as I mentioned earlier, is sold uh, individually. Some are sold in pairs, and that mm. wouldn't work for that individual person. So then we have to go into the boots 
that are sold individually, like in the Easy Care line, half of their boots models are sold individually, and we may have to get two different sizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alex, do you have any questions? No, I think this has been a very useful and thorough discussion for anyone who's considering the use of boots for their horses for whatever reason. I have found too that even if your um, your horse is shooed, it's nice to have a pair of boots when they lose a shoe. <laughs> it's like Absolutely. you know, it's like your spare tire. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, because and that's one of the reasons why I'm actually unshoeing Pico is because he tends to unshoe on a regular basis. So we'll see if that helps. Well, Miriam, thank you so much. Such, such precious uh, information. I know it's going to be a journey. <laughs> Certainly, I'll give people here a follow-up on uh, how the process is going. <laughs> Absolutely. It was totally my pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. I hope that... Well, it was a great discussion. So thank you very, very much. Thank you for having me. I, I do appreciate it very much, and I hope uh, it was helpful for folks out there. Yes, I'm sure it will be. Thank you, Miriam. Thank you. Bye. We've created a page in the Equosity website for Pico. Dominique has posted some photos of him in his new boots, and she's included an interview with her farrier, Christian Roy. It's important to have a good team supporting you and your horse. You want to have a good relationship with your vet, with your farrier or trimmer if you use one. These should be people you can talk to. People you trust because you know they understand that your horse is an important part of your life. Dominique isn't abandoning the team she's been working with for years as she ventures into the transition to barefoot. She's consulting with her vet and she is using the farrier who has taken care of her horses for years. You can meet him in the audio file that's on Pico's page in the library. To visit the library, go to our website, equosity.com. If you have already subscribed to the website, you can go straight to the library. Otherwise, just sign in through the subscription form and we'll send you the login information. And one more announcement. The new revised edition of my book, The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, is available through my website. Go to theclickercenter.com to order. The book is still at the printer. It should be shipping to me the first part of December, so hopefully I'll be able to send orders out in time for Christmas. I'm super excited to have this new book. Next week, we're going to be talking about it and all the changes we've seen in the clicker training community since the first edition was published in 2003. So until then, have fun with your horses.